Somewhere along the line, I got the notion, and I think maybe some others have a similar notion, and we take comfort in the fact that on the day of judgment, Jesus will be advocating for us with the Father. Imagine Jesus and God arguing over our souls. Numerous passages suggest that Jesus will actually be judging that day and not functioning in any uh, form or fashion as our lawyer. 1 John 2, 1 says, we, My little children, I am writing these things to you that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. First question, we have an advocate or will he advocate for us. It says here that we have that advocate already. So, how does he advocate? And what is this role that he plays of advocate? Verse 2 right after that says, And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. So there's something in his sacrifice that qualifies him as our advocate. Greek writers tell us that the role of the advocate in court back during that time was to first demonstrate that the client was not guilty. If that could not be done, then it was the advocate's role to uh, mitigate the impact of that judgment on his client. First, Jesus admits our guilt. We all sin. We all separate ourselves from God because we serve self over serving him, and that's when we violate his commandments. So the court finds us guilty as charged right off the bat. There is no pleading of the case. Second, though, he presents the mitigating factor to consider. A substitute has been provided for us to avoid the consequences of our obvious guilt and our deserved punishment. Jesus recognized this. God recognizes this and recognized it because he sent his son for that specific purpose. The only condition 
that's going to influence whether or not that substitution takes place is our decision to follow him, to render obedience to the gospel, and then to live lives according to his will after that. Romans 5 verses 9 and 10 says, Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from the wrath of God through him? He has done his job. He has done his propitiation, his substitution. He has sacrificed himself on the cross for our sins so that we don't have to bear the consequences of those sins. He will not advocate or mediate or plead our case before God on judgment day. He has already done that through his sacrifice. In other words, his blood continues to cleanse us if we remain in him and abide in his teachings. Romans 8.34, one last verse. Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God and who also intercedes for us. Present, progressive, ongoing. He intercedes because he has completed what God had given him to do in removing our sins from us if we avail ourselves of what he has offered. Without his sacrifices, as we know, and are told in scripture, we are dead in our sins and condemned by God to eternal torment. That sacrifice, in what we might call uh, an extreme understatement, was important. It was to God, it was important to him because he gave his son, he sent his son to this earth to suffer and die at the hands of the people he was sent to. It was important to Jesus. It was his mission. He said, I and the Father are one. And so when he came to this earth to die for us, it was important. When he directed his apostles in the upper room to institute the Lord's Supper, it was important that he wanted us to remember what he has done for us and what that sacrifice continues to do for us in cleansing us and allowing us to be able to come before God with a pure conscience. As we partake, let's bow as we give a uh, prayer for an offering for the uh, bread. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the love that you demonstrated to us and the love that Jesus demonstrated in the giving of his life on the cross for our sins. We pray, Father, that as we distribute the emblems at this time, that we will focus every thought that we have as much as possible on him and on his sacrifice. We pray that you would bless this bread. And as believers, we know that it represents the body that was hung on the cross, that was pierced for our transgressions. And we know, Father, without that sacrifice, without that blood, we would have no means of redemption in your eyes or in eternity. We ask that you be with us as we partake at this time. In your son's name, amen.
Let's pray for, the, for everybody. Father in heaven, we can read medical and historical accounts of what goes on during a crucifixion. We know Christ endured that for us. But we cannot know the depth of the anguish of bearing the sins of all mankind. And we pray, Father, that as we contemplate that suffering, both fear, physical and spiritual, this morning at this time, that we will focus our thoughts on him and the amount of love it took for him to willingly give himself. We pray, Father, that you would bless this fruit of the vine, which represents to us that precious blood that was shed on the cross, and that we will do all we can in the coming days to live our lives according to the pattern that he left down, it laid down for us and left for us in his will, and according to what we find in Scripture beyond that. We ask this prayer in your son's name. Before we conclude the Lord's Supper and, and move on, I'd, I'd like to just make one statement. My family and I were recently afforded the opportunity to go to Jerusalem and be in or awful near the Garden of Gethsemane. And there was an area there that they had um, blocked off 
but they had openings with wrought iron fence and you could look through and I'm assuming that they have preserved the garden um, as to at least what it might have looked like when Jesus and the apostles uh, were there. And if you look in, you look over and say, well, that could have been where, you know, Peter, James, and John were told to wait while the Savior walked to the other end of that enclosure. And it was just a fascinating experience. I hope everyone gets a chance to do that. This concludes the Lord's Supper. Um, we also, at this time, since we're past passing things among us, take this opportunity to uh, fulfill an obligation that the members of this church have, and that's to support the work here. And we do this through free will offerings. And each of us are to uh, purpose in our hearts uh, what we are to give and to prepare to do so. And so that way we can carry out the acts of benevolence, the, the edification and the evangelism that this, this congregation is charged with doing in God's word. So let's pray at this time and then we'll take care of that obligation. Our Father in heaven, we thank you today for the opportunity to come here and worship you as we do on a regular basis. We realize, Father, that we are extremely blessed in the fact that we can do this without fear of intimidation or oppression that many have experienced in uh, past centuries and even experience in some countries today. We pray, Father, that as each of us has uh, purposed in our, his or her heart to give this morning that we do so cheerfully and that whatever we collect at, the, at times like these will be used wisely by those who have oversight of those funds, that they will be used for those purposes of evangelism, edifying our members here and providing support for those who have need. We pray, Father, that you be with us as we give. We ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all please stand. We'll sing hymn number 798. 798. Yield not to temptation. It's at this time the young children may go to the children's Bible hour. We'll sing all three verses first and then sing the chorus at the end. Okay? All three verses first and then the chorus. Yield not to temptation for yielding is each victory will help you suffer to
Invitation hymn for this morning, <clears throat> number 655. There's a fountain free. It's time for the Chris. Good morning. When uh, Kelly and I were young, we went to uh, Illinois for one of her family's family reunions. They do it every Labor Day on uh, uh, throughout throughout the years. They've done it every Labor Day, um, but this was when before we got married, and so uh, I went up there with her. It was the first time kind of meeting that section of the family, and we had a good time. To see horses and ride four wheelers, and we had a good time. But it's a long trip from Illinois back to Middle Tennessee, and so by the time we got back that night, it was really late, and I dropped Kelly off at her parents' house, and I was driving back the 30 minutes. Uh, down this long, dark, curvy, windy road, uh, back to my mom, my mom's house, and uh, closed my eyes for just a second, and I fell asleep. And I ran up on an embankment, and I flipped my car upside down, and I landed upside down in the road, going the right direction in my lane, but upside down. I was wearing my seatbelt. It's probably what saved my life. And when I let go of the seatbelt, I was holding on to the steering wheel so tightly that I dropped another inch, <laughs> which terrified me. And I think, I made it. I'm alive. And to this day, that's been 20 years ago now. To this day, I still struggle still driving at night. I'm really cognizant of being sleepy at the wheel. And so still when we drive down to Tennessee and it gets dark, it starts getting late. If it's, if it's around 11 or 12, uh, I, I, don't, I won't drive. I'm, I'm not safe. I'm still... That's still in the back of my head. I'm, I'm, I'm aware now of the danger of falling asleep. The Bible paints a picture of adultery very much like that. You need to be aware of how dangerous this is. And you just stay away from it. Now, we're calling this series Don't Be Dumb. And that's one of the things that the Bible would say, especially the book of Proverbs, couches things in that way. He wants you to be wise. He's talking to his son, but really, he's talking to each and every one of us. The, the writer of Proverbs is. And so he looks at uh, each one of us and he says, don't, don't be dumb about adultery. Don't, don't play with this because it's, it's not something to be played with. Uh, very much like closing your eyes while you're driving. Just, just for a second. It's too dangerous, isn't it? It's just too dangerous to, to toy with. You heard the verse that... Uh, that Dwight read for us this morning. It's from Jeremiah 3, uh, 6 through 10, where God is talking to his people. And at this portion of history, the northern nation has been bisected to the, southern, to the southern nation. So there's really two nations of Israel. Biblically, they're going to be the northern. Got a dead battery. I'll just stand right here. Sorry. So he will compare uh, the southern nation. Uh, this nation, the northern nation, is sold off into Assyrian captivity. The, the southern nation of Judah traditionally hasn't had the same type of problems with uh, idolatry as the northern nation did. For 200 years, the northern nation worshipped idols. And, and because they refused to turn back to them, he cast them into Assyrian captivity. The southern nation of Judah, Jerusalem, hasn't had that long-standing history with idolatry, though it will be there. They have been emboldened, though, by the northern nation of Israel. And they, too, uh, will, will go off into idolatry. It's interesting to me how seriously he takes this, though. This idea of adultery, what we're talking about this morning, he takes it. So seriously, he compares it to idolatry. And it's the, the, the thing that when he starts making rules for his people to follow, that's the very first thing that he mentions is 
you don't have any other gods before me. I'm, I'm the only one. Your, your, uh, your reverence, your heart, your dedication is to me only. That's the picture that we find in marriage, isn't it? Where we've become one, and our dedication and our heart and our love is just for that one person, and it's too dangerous to toy with. Something like that, isn't it? We've seen too much, even in our own culture, especially in our own culture, where people have fallen because they thought that they could handle the temptations and they could not. Proverbs, Proverbs uses four passages, specifically four major passages. It talks about adultery a lot, but we're going to focus on these four passages this morning. So we're going to start in, in Proverbs chapter 2. Uh, starting in verses 16 through 19. He says, So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress, from her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. If you told me if I go somewhere... And I'm not coming back from there. I don't go to that place. How about you? If I told you, you go to everyone I see go, that goes to food fair. Nothing against food fair. It's just the first, came, first place that came to mind. <laughs> if I told you that everybody I saw goes to food fair, I never see them coming back out. You don't go to food fair, do you? Right? <laughs> he says that everyone he sees that place with this particular sin they, they don't come back listen to what he says here he mentions the forbidden woman she's forbidden sp specifically because she's not the young man's wife remember Solomon's talking to his son interestingly enough all four of these passages come from Solomon's mouth uh, each one of these are tri attributed to Solomon this section not all of Proverbs is written by Solomon uh, most scholars think that of uh, several people wrote several of the, the Proverbs. All of them are inspired, but not all of them are most likely written by Solomon. What's so interesting about this particular study this morning is all four of these are. So when you begin to think about Solomon's life, something's going on here, isn't it? Because Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines, and he is led astray from his faith, from the faith of his fathers, by these, by these forbidden women. Interestingly enough, he's essentially an adulterer for marrying so many of these women. But he writes these, these proverbs that speak so directly and so intensely and so repeatedly against adultery. It's, it's interesting. I don't know if he writes these at the end of his life. And he looks back on his life and he says, the destruction that they've caused me, it's not worth it. Don't, don't, don't play with this. Don't toy with this. Don't think you can handle this. You stay as far away from this as possible. I don't know if he looks back at the end of his life and, and sees that. Or maybe he's a young man when he writes this. We know Solomon asked for wisdom at the beginning of his kingship. And so it's very possible that he could have written, written Proverbs when he's a young man. Maybe he's looking into the future to say, oh, there's, there's a great many things that are dangerous, but this one, I, I see the danger here, and you need to too. It's possible. But here, repeatedly and directly, Solomon will talk via the Holy Spirit about the dangers of adultery. He says that this woman forgets the covenant with her God. Adultery doesn't just hurt you, does it? Sometimes we think that some sins only hurt us, but that's, that's a misnomer, isn't it? Sin hurts everyone around us. And specifically and very vocally and very obviously, this particular sin hurts those around us, doesn't it? It's not just a sin against me. It's, it's a sin against the, the, the person that you're committing adultery with, as well as their spouse if they're married, as well as their families, as well as God. Right? 
And so repeatedly, he's going to point out that this is not just a sin against myself. I'm not just hurting myself. I'm hurting literally everyone around me because I toyed with this particular sin. He keeps on going, though. And then somebody says uh, here in verses 18 and 19, For her house sinks down to death, and her paths to the departed, none who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. He's outlining the consequence of adultery. It's death. Nothing good comes from this. Redemption is obviously possible, right? But the pain of what has been broken will likely linger for a lifetime. You can't recover from this particular sin in a way that brings you back into the relationship like it was before the thing was broken. Marriage is too special to be broken in this way, to be restored again in the exact same fashion. Redemption is possible, but it's incredibly difficult. And most of the time you live with the consequences of adultery for the rest of your life. The wise man would say, just don't go there. The consequences are too great. It's like closing your eyes on the interstate. It's just too dangerous to be toyed with. Listen to what he says in Proverbs 5. That's Proverbs 2 is the first section, the first passage. But Proverbs 5, <coughs> the entire chapter is devoted to adultery. And so he keeps on coming back to to this thought, right? He, he opens up in Proverbs 2 to his son, but he's going to come back to it in Proverbs 5, and then in Proverbs 6, and then again in Proverbs 7. It's almost like he thinks the boy's not listening. You ever had that conversation with one of your children and think, are you really hearing me? Because this is important. This is a big deal. Every time one of my kids crosses the road, you know what I tell them? Look both ways. It's important because this is something, if you don't look both ways and there's a car coming, I can't save you, and you can't come back from that. And I refuse to allow that to happen. So every time you cross the road, you're going to hear Dad's voice going, Hey, did you look both ways? And Titus is getting it. Abby gets it sometimes. Hannah's always been careful, so she gets it. Ethan hasn't gotten it yet, <laughs> but we're working on it. This is one of those things that the, the wise man, Solomon, wants to make sure you get. And so he keeps coming back to it. The Holy Spirit keeps coming back to it because it's too dangerous for you to not listen. There's too much ruin here for us not to pay attention. Listen to what he says in verses 1 through 6. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. He's saying, listen up. This is important. For the lips of, the, of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. He says, it sounds really good, right? It sounds like there's not going to be any consequences. This, these, these thoughts and these words get in your head, and you start talking yourself into this, don't you? He says, it, it sounds really good. But you need to see beyond that. And Solomon's going to let you in a little bit on what happens beyond that. Beyond that initial, beyond the initial words. Although they sound really sweet in the beginning. Though they sound really seductive in the beginning. Though they sound like a good idea in the beginning. That's what Solomon says in the end. But in the end, she's as bitter as wormwood. Sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet Go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander and she does not know it. He's acknowledging here the deception of adultery. It's a lie. A lot of times you think, oh, the grass is greener on the other side, right? It's not true. You ever been to the other side? On anything. Say you've got a job and, and you think, oh man, this job's hard and I don't get paid enough and I have to do all these responsibilities. If I just went over there and took that, took that job, it'd be so much better over there, wouldn't it? The grass is always greener on the other side and it's not true. That's a myth. That's a mirage. 
Satan has laid for you to fall into. It's too dangerous to buy into that kind of thinking. It's too dangerous to buy into that kind of talk. He says, you need to see the end of this. It's bitterness and sharpness and death. He wants you to see both of these things. Because he's going to acknowledge the appeal of adultery. He says, out of, especially if he writes this toward the end of his life, Solomon understands the appeal. Out of every person that's ever lived on the planet, he gets the appeal of adultery. And he says, smart enough to see through <coughs> to the end of it. And it's just not worth playing with. Not only do you not do this thing, you don't even toy with it. You don't even think about it. You don't go close enough to hear these this woman's words or this man's words. Listen to what else he says in Proverbs 5, just the following section. Proverbs 5 is broken down into sections, and you'll see that. In the first section here, 1 through 6, he, he talks about the appeal as well as the, de- uh, the, uh, well, uh, the deception of adultery. But in 7 through 14, he talks about how to deter yourself from it. Listen to what he says. And now, sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. He keeps coming back to this idea of, hey, listen, listen. Keep your way far from her. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless. Lest strangers take their fill of your strength, and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life, you groan. When your flesh and body are consumed and you say, How I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructions. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. The first and best way to stay away from the sin of adultery is to never get started with it in the first place. Never even let it get close enough to you. To have these thoughts. But the second best time and the best way to get away from this thing is right now. Don't play with it. Don't toy with this. Because it will eat you alive. Listen to how he talks about this sin. And really any sin. But, but specifically this one for our purposes today. It will eat you alive. And at the end of your life when you're looking back on the mistakes you've made, you're going to think, I hated discipline. People were trying to tell me, and I just refused to listen. And now I'm at the brink of utter ruin. Everything's falling apart, and it's because of this one thing. So you never start it. You don't even get close to it. You don't look at the magazines. You don't look at the websites. You don't toy with the text messages. You don't play with any of that stuff. You don't get close enough to this. But if you're in the midst of that right now, right now is the best time to stop. It's the surest deterrent. Here's another one. In Proverbs 5, 15 through 20, he says, you need to rejoice and to be infatuated with your own spouse. Because if you're infatuated with him or with her, you're not going to find yourself in the arms of someone else. That's what he says toward the end of this passage. Why should you, in verse 20, be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress because you're so infatuated. Look up in the, in the previous verse, in verse 19, with always infatuated with her, with your spouse's love. You are, to put it in our terms, crazy about each other. You want to stay away from adultery? The best way is to work on your marriage. You'd be so crazy about your spouse that you don't want to go anywhere else. That's not something our culture sells, is it? Our culture is completely 100% fine with marriage being a throwaway thing. It's like one of those styrofoam coffee cups. When you get it in the morning, what do you do with it? By noon, it's in the trash can, right? Coffee's cold. Don't reuse the cup. That's useless. That's the way our culture views marriage. It's not... Not the way God views marriage. This is something that he views as very precious. It's sacred. It's good. It's designed to get you to heaven. Designed to bring you closer to him. He says, this is something you need to focus on. You need to be crazy about your spouse. A lot of times we don't put in the work to make our marriages good. 
So then we have the grass is greener on the other side mentality. We bind to that myth. But guess what happens? When you go to the other person, when you get to the greener grass, all those problems that you had originally, still there, aren't they? The mutual respect, the responsibility, the love, all the things that messed up the first time, you brought them into the second relationship, and so did the other person. Grass is not greener on the other side. It's greener where you water it. We need to work on our marriages so that we stay away from adultery. It's too important to play with. It's too dangerous to play with. So we talk about how you stay away from it. One of the ways is you never get started with it. But in 15 through 20 in Proverbs 5 here, he says you need to enjoy your spouse. He's going to say the same thing essentially in 1 Corinthians. <coughs> Excuse me. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, verses 2 through 5. Let's turn there real quick. I don't have it on the board. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 2 through 5. He says this. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except for perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. All of this section of Scripture in 1 Corinthians 7, these, these, these few verses here, is all about enjoying the spouse that you have. You're married for a reason. Enjoy the spouse that you have. And he's very specific in Proverbs 5, 15 through 20 with how to go about doing that. Proverbs 15, uh, 21, 20, 21 through 23, he says, here's another deterrent. God is always watching. Listen to what he says. Verse 21, he says, For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he's led astray. He says, God knows what, you, what you're doing. We tell that to our children, don't we? God, God sees what you're doing. But sometimes when we become an adult, we tend to forget that he is there and we will not get away with the things that we hide from other people. Though your spouse may not know, though your friends may not know, though no one else may know, God knows. And this is something he will punish. That's what he says in Hebrews 13, verse 4. He says, let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. This is something... You cannot hide from him. He knows and sees all. And there will be a judgment day. And in the back of your head, as you start down this path, Solomon's words ought to ring in your head. It's too dangerous. I'm, I'm not playing with that sin. I'm not going down this path. I put guardrails in place. I put boundaries in place. And this is coming up against one of my boundaries real hard. I'm not going to take this next step. In fact, I'm going to back out of this relationship. And if it means moving houses, and if it means moving jobs, and if it means losing friends, that's a perfectly acceptable thing to do because this is too dangerous to play with. It's like closing your eyes on the interstate. Don't toy with it. It's too dangerous. Proverbs 6 Back to the book of Proverbs. This is our third verse uh, where he's going to deal with adultery. Proverbs chapter 6. Again, Solomon's speaking uh, in this section of Scripture. Again, he's just came through an entire chapter in verse 5 talking about the dangers of adultery. And here he returns to it again in, in Proverbs 6. <coughs> Like he's afraid the we're not listening and we're not, are we? we? We struggle with this idea. 
uh, with this sin because our culture struggles with it and we're a little too close to our culture. And so it's, it's gotten prevalent even in the church. And so this is something we need to focus on. This is something we need to hear about. And so Solomon's going to return to this topic. In this section, he says, you, you, you might be forgiven for stealing for your, for, to feed your family, but if you steal another man's wife, it's probably going to cost you your life. You just think about how many domestic homicides there have been over even this year. And you find Solomon to be true here once again. Even if adultery doesn't cost you your life, though, it will cost you dearly. Let me give you an example. I, we don't have time to read through Proverbs 6, 20-35, and I want you to do that this afternoon. But let me illustrate this section for you and, and what he's trying to get across. Remember David, the great king David, and how amazing this man was. He was a man after God's own heart, right? When he sleeps with Bathsheba, everything starts falling apart for him. That happens in 2 Samuel chapter 11. Nathan finally calls him on his sin in 2 Samuel chapter 12. After 2 Samuel chapter 12, David's life is ruined. Everything goes to pot after 2 Samuel chapter 12. The son, the infant son between him and Bathsheba dies. He kills, before even that, one of his most loyal warriors. The guy that's been with him since living in the cave days when he was running from Saul. He has him murdered to cover over this sin. The infant child that David and Bathsheba have dies. One of his sons rapes one of his daughters. One of his other sons murders that son. That son's forced to flee the country and eventually comes back <coughs> just to take over David's kingdom. And David himself is forced to leave the kingdom to get away from the sun. He finally comes back and in the coup, the boy dies. The son dies. Trouble after trouble after trouble. Heartache after heartache because David toyed with this sin. He was in a place where he shouldn't have been looking at someone he shouldn't have been enjoying. And it cost him. It didn't cost him his life, but it almost literally cost him everything else certainly cost him his happiness. His family disintegrates because he is so consumed with his sin. He can't focus on anything else. He can't focus on running the kingdom. And so everything else falls. The message from Proverbs and from David is clear. Don't be dumb about adultery. Don't play with it. It's too dangerous. Last verse in Proverbs we need to look at is another chapter entirely devoted to adultery. It's Proverbs chapter 7. Again, 5, 6, and 7 are right here back to back. It's like Solomon saying, listen, hey, you got to listen. This is too important for you to zone out. Don't let your eyes glaze over here. It's too important. Too important. <coughs> Proverbs 7, verses 6 and 7. He says, let's just back over and read that. Proverbs 7, you need to see this because Solomon's looking out. He, he's, again, he's still talking to his son. He's talking to each one of us. But he's picturing this scene where he has looked out his bedroom window, much like his dad did, but this time he doesn't see a woman, at least He's not focused on her. He's focused on the young man that sees the woman. He says this in Proverbs 7, verses 6 and 7. For at the window of my house I have looked out through my lattice, and I have seen among the simple, I have perceived among the youths a young man lacking sense. He says, this person's dumb. And sometimes Proverbs will slap us in the face with that one. This is This is stupid. And sometimes that offends us, but it's an awful lot like our passenger sitting in the, the passenger side seat saying, Hey, are you sleepy? Because I can drive. If you're tired, I want to drive. Don't close your eyes because that's, 
stupid. That's dumb. Don't be dumb about that. Well, just like we wouldn't be dumb about that, Solomon says, don't be dumb about this. It's because the consequences are even greater if you commit adultery. So he says, I saw this young man. Verse 8, listen to what he says. Passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight in the evening at the time of night and darkness. He's intentionally going to this place to find this woman. Verse 10, he says, And behold, the woman meets him, dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She's loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home, now in the street, now in the market. And at every corner she lies in wait. She seizes him and kisses him. And with bold face she says to him, I have to offer sacrifices. And today I have paid my vows. So now I have come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly. And I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings and colored linens from Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh and alloys and cinnamon. Come and take, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love, for my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took with him a bag of money. At full moon, he will come home. You see what she's saying? We can do what we want, and there will not be any consequences. That's what she's saying. And that's, interestingly enough, what our culture tells us about this particular sin. You do what you want, and there's not going to be any consequences. But what does God say? He says there will be consequences. And consequences so hard you shouldn't have to pay for those things you shouldn't have to pay those consequences so you just stay away from stay away from it it's too dangerous that's the lie that adultery sells to us well there won't be any consequences my husband's gone he's not going to find us he's been gone for a long time there's still going to be consequences Interestingly, interestingly enough, he sees this woman's dress and hears her words. Had he not been in this place, had he not been at the wrong place intentionally, not in the wrong place, he would have never seen or heard her. We have to be so careful. He was toying with it. And look what happens. Verse 22 through 23. All at once he follows her as an ox goes to slaughter, or a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver as a bird rushes into a snare. He does not know that it will cost him his life, but it will. This is too dangerous to toy with this sin. The word from the Bible, the word specifically today from Proverbs is you stay away from it. You don't toy with it. And if you're playing with it right now, right now is the time to get away. God's watching. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. You don't get away with this. You don't get away with any sin. You don't get away with, with this sin. And there are ways, biblically speaking, to deal with it. You stay as far away from this as possible. You enjoy your own spouse. This morning, if you're struggling, we want to help you in any way we can. We love you and we want to be here for you. We want to pray for you that you are who God wants you to be. You're not living up to our standard. You're certainly not living up to my standard. You're living up to God's standard. And so if you've fallen short of that standard this morning, whether you need to be baptized into Christ to have your sins washed away, no matter what sin it is, sin is forgivable. Thanks to the power of Jesus' blood, it's forgivable. But you've got to ask for it and you've got to put in the work. <coughs> obtain that salvation. This morning, if you need to be baptized, we want to do that for you. We want to aid you in any way we can. If, we want, if you need uh, the prayers of this congregation, we want to help you in any way we can with that as well. Why don't you come as we stand and sing.
Good morning, church family. I hope everybody's doing all right. Uh, Chris, great lesson, brother. Appreciate you. Man, we've had a, a great week uh, last week. We had a Bible class, uh, some great lessons. Um, do encourage everybody to come to that. Um, it started at 7 o'clock. Um, so we had a Bible class, and then we had our last fifth quarter on Friday uh, from, nine, from 9.30 to 11.30. Um, Fairland won. They beat Chesapeake. Steeler and Mason had a great game, so it was great to see them play. Um, and I think y'all play again Friday, don't you? Friday. So that's great. Um, and also, we had Trunk or Treat last night um, from 7 to 8, and that was a lot of fun. We had a lot, a lot of kids here, uh, a lot of kids. And thank you for all those uh, cars that came out to pass out candy. I uh, definitely appreciate you um, uh, doing that, and uh, it was a lot of fun. I know I made 200 hot dogs, and those were gone bef less, probably w within 30 minutes. So we had, we probably had, Gary, how many people you say we probably had here for trunk or treat? 200? Yeah. <laughs> I'd say, yeah, definitely 200. Yeah. We had a lot, but um, so uh, uh, thank y'all for, uh, for, for everything y'all do for helping out with those activities uh, that we do for our community. Um, also, uh, great news, today is uh, the Father and Son Day at Leap's Cabin uh, from 1 to 4.30. I do encourage um, fathers, bring your sons out. Um, doesn't matter how old your son is, bring them out. Should be a lot of fun. Uh, there will be fishing out there. Uh, you can roast some hot dogs on the fire or s'mores, but uh, it should be a lot of fun. At, uh, and if you're not really sure where um, Gary's cabin's at, please see him after uh, services, and he can tell you exactly where it's at, or you can see me. Um, also, a uh, reminder, next Sunday will be our potluck. Uh, we'll have 1 o'clock service. There will be no 6 o'clock service. Uh, Chris will be taking the church bus to uh, the Pumpkin House at 5.30, so if you want to meet here for the, go to Pumpkin House, we're going to go to Everoni's first because it's always good to eat, um, and then we're walking across the street to the Pumpkin House, and then um, going to Austin's after that, so it should be a, a full day of fun. Um, also, Life Group 3, that's Jeremy and Dickie's group, will be meeting at the Galloway's Pond at 5.30 that, uh, that Sunday as well. Uh, so it will be an outside event, so please, uh, I think it's supposed to be cold, uh, but who knows? The weatherman's wrong 50% of the time. Uh, but, uh, so, but if it is cold, dress uh, warmly. Um, also, November 4th through the 5th will be the Fort Hill Youth Rally. Uh, there's a sign-up sheet on the four-year board for that. Um, also, there's a sign-up sheet on the bulletin board as well for CYC registration. Uh, CYC this year has gone up in price. It's like everything else. It's $70 this year to sign up, um, and you need to sign up by November 27th. So that way we, you can get the cheaper price. We can get the cheaper price for the tickets, and we can also book the chalet. Um, I have a card here from Teresa Literal. Uh, she wrote for the congregation. It says, thank you for all, for all the prayers and gift cards and the sympathy cards during the passing of my brother, Paul. My brothers and sisters in Christ, you are truly a wonderful family to me, Teresa Literal. And this card will be posted out in the foyer board. Updates on our prayers. Remember, continue to keep Amber uh, Spitzer in your prayers. Uh, she's dealing with breast cancer. Uh, Mary continue to keep Jennifer Baker. It's good to see her here this morning. Um, but Mary continue to keep her in her prayers as she deals with her cancer. And also, Mary continue to keep Gary Leap's brother, Terry, in your prayers as well as he's dealing with his cancer as well. It's just anybody dealing with cancer. I mean, just 
please pray for them. Also, uh, Gail Hewitt's dealing with a uh, blood clot in her leg. Uh, keep her in your prayers as well. Um, and it's also good to see Aiden Hustle back here with us as well. Uh, he's been sick, and uh, but it's good to see him back uh, healthy and back with us. Um, this next announcement, I was told to keep take the. Group one, that's Rick Keister's group, and at uh, 7 o'clock at Rick Keister's house. Um, if you have any questions or if you're not really sure what life group you're in, please grab a paper out in the foyer table and uh, find out what life group you're in. And um, if you have any questions where Rick lives, uh, please see him. All right. Thank you very much. Let's all please stand again. We'll sing hymn number 261. We'll sing the first two verses of I am thine, O Lord, and then Brother Darren Baker will have a prayer. I am thine, O Lord, I have heard thy voice, and it's all thy love to me. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love. We thank you for your grace. Thank you for Jesus and the hope that he gives us. Lord, there's been many mentioned here today, many more on our hearts and minds that are in need of prayers, in need of healing. Lord, we pray your blessings be upon them, whether it is a physical illness or a spiritual illness. Lord, we we just pray that you'll be with them and bless them. You know who they are. You know their, their needs better than we do. Father, as we go through the remainder of this day, the remainder of this week, we ask you to, to guide us, keep us on the path that you would have us to, to follow and steer us in the right direction, Father, when we veer off that path. Forgive us of the wrongs we may commit against you. 
be with us, watch over us, and all these things we ask in Jesus' blessed name. Amen.